to our time of worship. I just want to uh, kind of share with you um, something that happened this week. Actually, this month has been an outstanding month. Um, this year has been an outstanding year for our church, and especially when it comes to, to giving. And uh, we're, in a, we're in a position right now like we've never been before in our, in our church's history. Um, we've had some, some good gifts that have been given at the end of the year here. And then this week, someone else came and said, hey, listen, um, I have a gift I'd like to give, and I'm kind of, I want to give it to where it really has an impact. And so they put out a challenge to the church to match it um, and before they'll give it. And I think that's a good thing. Um, but it's $25,000 uh, as a match. And so I really want you to be thinking and praying about um, your giving at the end of the year and matching that $25,000. Talk to me after the service. Call me this week. Pray about it as a family, what you can do, because what that would do at the end of 2012 is put us in a position where we're going to 2013 with about eighty to ninety thousand dollars in a buffer, which we've never had before unless we're doing a capital campaign and have that kind of resources just sitting uh, being used by us in, in doing ministry day to day. So I really want to encourage you because that's that's an exciting opportunity for our church going into 2013 with the staff that we have, with the momentum that we have, what God is doing. And I'll tell you the truth, from a, from a personal note, it would take a whole lot of pressure off me knowing you're going into 2013 with that, those resources. Um, it would be real, a real blessing for our staff. So please be praying about that, thinking about that as we go into uh, 2013. All right. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, it says, But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. Over the past few weeks, we've been talking about how God is challenging us to, to touch one, to, to leak Jesus, as David was talking about, David and me talked about a few weeks ago, to, to be a letter and I've heard so many positive comments and such positive feedback from all of you about this series and how God is touching your hearts and God is moving in your lives to be that letter in your school, to be that letter at work, to leak Jesus wherever you go, and, and to talk about how we as a church can touch the lives of people around us. Over the past few years, we've been talking about what it means to have an incarnational philosophy, when Jesus walked the earth, how did he do ministry? And we keep talking about how he had uh, the same message, but a different approach, depending on who he was talking to. to the, he talked to rich, the poor, the afflicted, tax collectors, Pharisees and Sadducees, prostitutes. Same message, but a different approach. To fishermen, he said, I'll make you fishers of men. So as we as a church grab hold of that philosophy and try to apply it, we look around our community and we say, how can we as a church have an impact how can we focus our attention, study our culture, understand those around us, whether it's in school or at work, and impact the lives of people around us? We've also talked about the, the false philosophy of secular and sacred, that there is no such thing as secular, that it's either sinful or sacred, that, that God created everything and that everything belongs to God. All your gifts, all your talents, all of your abilities, all of your treasures, all of it belongs to God. So if you're not sinning, then it's sacred and all of those things can be used. You can go into the marketplace and be a marketplace minister. You can go on your school campus and be a campus minister. You as an individual can minister to those around you because it all belongs to God. And God wants us to use everything that we have, everything that we are to glorify him. Grace Chapel is unique and innovative 
in its, in its approach to attacking pockets of poverty. That's been the way we that's been the foundation of our church from the very beginning, just coming up with unique and innovative ways to attack pockets of poverty, to reach out to our community, to, to, to teach and to train. It's that uniqueness. We have the same message, the gospel, but we've taken a different approach when it comes to impacting the world around us. We've clearly seen as we've gone through this series and throughout our history, how the smallest sacrifice can sometimes have a huge impact. This morning, what I want to do is remind you, remind you of the strategy that we have to touch this world. If you're going to attack an enemy, if we're going to, we're going to face our enemy, and if we're going to attack that enemy on his ground, then you need a very innovative approach. You need an unorthodox strategy. Our strategy as a church, when it comes to impacting our world, it, it, we, we learn from those in the past. We build on the foundation of those who've come before us. But we, we've, we've added a, a bit of a twist because a complex problem needs innovative solutions. If you're going to look at this world in our own community, in our nation and around the world, you can't come at the problems that we're facing in this nation right now or the problems that we're facing around the world with the same old, same old. You need to have an innovative approach, innovative solutions. Instead of expecting, for example, individuals to just give of their resources, in most churches what happens is you have the staff, and the staff gets up, and they say things like I said this morning, hey, why don't you give, and there's opportunity, and we'll, you know, we'll take the resources, and we'll change the... That's basically the whole idea. You, your job is to go out and make the money and bring it back to the church, and then your job is pretty much finished. In our approach, your job is nowhere near finished. It's not just looking at the situation and saying people can give their finances to solve the world's problems, but we're looking for people's minds and we're looking for people's ideas. We're looking for entrepreneurs who are willing to use those gifts to further the kingdom of God. We're looking for people's talents and abilities and experiences so we can use those gifts for long-term sustainability in, in pockets of poverty that we are targeting. That is our goal and we've seen, we've seen it happen in places like Nigeria. We've targeted that area. We've taken an innovative approach. And we've seen the results. God is truly blessed. We want to create something that will, that will really live past all of us, if you will, as, as financial donors. We want something to live beyond that. We need a strategy that takes on a life of its own, even if it's cut off from the main supply line. Because if we're in Nigeria, we're in different parts of the world, if we're, if we're doing things in our own community, if we're doing things around, anywhere, what, what our goal as a church is that, for example, if we're, if we're impacting places in Africa or in Mexico, our goal as a church, by the time you and I pass away from this world, that even if this church no longer functions or, or we cease to exist, what we have set up around the world is self-sustaining. We don't want to create we don't want to create dependence. We want to create independence. We want not people dependent on our church and the pastor to get up year after year after year and ask for resources to take care of the orphanage that we planted in some country. But more effectively look at the situation and ask ourselves the question, how can we help these folks become independent? 
not for generations stay dependent on a church or individuals or some organization, but how do we help them become self-sustaining? See, throughout biblical history, God has called his people at critical times to use unique and unorthodox battle strategies, battle plans. You'll see it all throughout the Bible. And if we want to be successful as a church, if we want to be successful in our strategy of setting up ways where people can be self-sustaining, we need to know our history. We need to remember our history. And as we study leaders of the past and we come to the understanding of what our future may look like, we need to, we need to take two words. I'd like you to have, I'd like two words to be ingrained in your minds this morning. One is unorthodox and the other is faith. Unorthodox faith. Say that with me, will you? Unorthodox faith. Okay, on the count of three, I want you to say it loud. I want you to own it. One, two, three. Unorthodox faith. That's what we're talking about here. And I want to give you a couple examples of what I'm talking about. The first comes from the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, and goes through chapter 6, verse 5. It's Joshua in the battle of Jericho. It says, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the armies of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the armies of God replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Making a statement of fact. I've delivered Jericho into your hands along with its kings and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpet, have all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up, every man straight in. As we study this passage, we see three rules that I'd like to apply to our strategy. As you're thinking through, okay, as a church, what is our strategy, this unorthodox strategy? Three rules that we get from this that I'd like to apply. Number one, the Lord gives the orders. That's number one. Number two, the battle's already won. And number three, obedience is the key to victory. The Lord gives the orders. When he gives the orders, he follow along. The battle's already won. It's a fact. I said this so many times in our church. Years ago, 10, 12 years ago, I said, we're going to go and we're going to do this in Africa. We're going to do this locally. And we're going to do this. And, we're gonna sit. and, and I said, it's, a, it's just a fact waiting to happen. That's not arrogance. That's basically following a model, a biblical model. The Lord gives the orders. The battle's already won if you do it. Because obedience is the key to victory. That's what God wants us to be. He wants us to be obedient to him and something else you'll notice as you read this um the strategy that joshua used was a little bit unorthodox don't you think 
And it took faith to carry it out. Okay, Joshua, here's what I want you to do. Okay, he's got his swords, he's got his spears. Okay, I'll take the flank and we'll do this and we'll, we'll read some history books on, on military strategy to take down this wall and we'll put those things up, the, the ladders up and we'll crawl and we'll do it at night. And he says, now nah, I want you to march around for six days and then I want you to blow a horn. Everybody scream. And the walls will come tumbling down and you're running and they'll take over. You'll be thinking, What? Norman Schwarzkopf, not if he said that, hey, we're going to go after, you know, in the war, the first Gulf War. Here's my thing. Get a couple of horns, march around, you know what I'm saying? You're like, what? That was an, this was an unorthodox strategy. Our next example is the same thing. It's in Judges chapters 6 and 7. Gideon's defeat of the Midianites. I'm going to read verses 7, verses 1 through uh, 7. Early in the morning, Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all of his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have, to, you have too many men for me to deliver Midian into your hands. Too many men. In order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her, announce now to the people, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. I don't know if you, about you, but if I'm Gideon... I'm not feeling too good right about now. I'm like, come back here, you chickens. All right, so they're gone. Now you have 10,000. Then the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will sift them for you there. If I say, this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down and drink. Three hundred men lap with their hands to their mouths. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the three hundred men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the other men go, each to his own place. Now read through verse 8. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites to their tents, but kept the 300, who took over the provisions and trumpets. Trumpets are a big thing here, uh, of the others. And then it goes on to talk about, okay, there's... Now you have to understand, they said there were so many camels, you could hardly even count them, like it's like counting the sand of a seashore. So Gideon starts out with what? 32,000 men, right? Going against an army that far outnumbered him, even if he had 32,000. And then, and then God says, nah, 20, 22,000 go home. I want you to take them down. Whoever laughs like a dog. Basically, they went and they lifted up. They were, more, they were more alert. So he took the 300 most alert people. Other people got down and put their faces in the water and drank that way. And so God says, okay, with this 300, I'm going to deliver the Midianites into your hands. And so they went down. He took the 300. He said, okay, at this time, I want you to blow these horns and I want you to make noise. And they started, basically, God confused all the Midianites. They came out and started killing each other. He wiped out an entire army with 300 people. My friends, this, this is a little unorthodox, don't you think? A little, just a little bit unorthodox. And, and, and here's the deal. There's a pattern, again, he, even here. The Lord gives the orders. The battle is already won. I'm going to give the Midianites into your hands. And obedience is the key to victory. This is so important for us as a church. These biblical patterns are things that we need to follow. We need to own them, we need to understand them, and we need to follow them. Again, victory for God's people comes through an orthodox strategy and is carried out as they have faith 
to follow that unorthodox strategy. We need to have unorthodox faith. We need to have that kind of unorthodox faith. You know, sometimes you look and you say, well, we can never, we can never do this. Or if, if we went back 10 years and I just replayed the message from 10 years ago and I said, here's what God has called. I feel like God has called us to do as a church. Many people, many people did at that time think that's just insane. This church isn't big enough. You need 10, 12,000 people in your church to even dream about things like that. Well, let's see. God took 32,000, narrowed them down to 10,000, narrowed them down to 300, and then took on an army that far outnumbered them, and they won. Because it's not us who's fighting the battle. God gives the orders. The battle is already won. Obedience is the key to victory. You want to accomplish something in life? You have unorthodox faith. You believe. When everybody else says it can't be done, you believe. You have faith. Your family, and you think, oh, my family's never going to come together. This is never going to happen. The estranged people in my family, blah, unorthodox faith. God can do it. God can do it. And we need to have that kind of faith and believe. You want some more examples? You want some more examples? How about David's battle with Goliath? Honestly. Guy's got a big, he's what, gigantic, and he's, oh, he's got spear, he's got the whole thing going on, and you couldn't take this guy down. Half an army couldn't take the guy down. David walks out there, a young guy, picks up a rock, woo-woo-woo, bing. You know what I mean? How about Caleb? I love Caleb. Caleb's my man. It says that Caleb, you know, Caleb's ready to go into battle. Caleb was like, you know, I, I'm, I'm as ready to go into battle now as I was when I was first called. And that was a long time ago. 85 years old, this guy takes on an army and he wins. 85 years old. That's not unorthodox? Man, most people 85 years old just looking to sit in a rocking chair and just kind of live out their time. You know what I mean? Go collect some shells on a seashore. I've done my time. Caleb's taking on armies and he's winning. How about Joseph's rise to power in the book of Genesis? You, you want to see unorthodox? Go look at that. How about, how about Moses' rise to leadership in the book of Exodus? How about Daniel's rise to power and then overcoming the lions in the lion's den? Really? Someone show me a normal battle strategy that God implements in the Bible. We'll find one, but you don't find many of them. This is all about God. This is all about what God can do through his people. This is what the Bible's about. It's about God. It's about God using people. And I'll tell you right now, he loves to use people that other folks would say, oh, they're, oh, they're not. What, what can they accomplish? Who are they? Gideon said, I'm the least of my people. And I'm the, we're the smallest in the clans. And I'm the least of even them. How could, why would you even think about using me? And God basically saying to Gideon, I'm going to use you in a powerful way because get, guess who's going to get the glory? when you succeed, when you overcome. That should give all of us confidence. That should give us confidence in our God. Because all we need to do is have an orthodox faith. We have been given a privilege in this church to be surrounded with people who have so many different gifts and talents and abilities who are willing to step out and try things and do things that no one else has tried before. And we've been able to succeed where others may have failed before. You want more proof of what I'm saying? Study the birth and life and death of Jesus Christ. So God sends his son to the earth to become a man. He's born in a stable, okay, in a manger. 
He is he lives. He is crucified. He dies and he's raised again to save us from our sin. So here you have the king of the universe coming down to earth as a man, being born in a stable, taking on the very nature, not of a king, not of a, not of a conqueror, taking on the very nature of a servant, Philippians tells us. Then he is crucified, so he is killed in the most humiliating way possible at that time. Humiliating, stripped naked, hanging on a cross. Then they put him in the ground. He comes back to life. He is resurrected so that you and I can be brought back into relationship with God because that was God's plan. You don't see that as being a little unorthodox? I'm going to tell you something. The enemy never saw it coming. They never, the enemy never saw that coming. You expect Jesus to come. The, the, all the Jews at that time, Israel, was expecting this guy on a white horse with a big sword to wipe out all the, the Romans to restore them by the power of his strength of his arm and the, the cunning of his ability to, you know, to do this and do that. He's going to rally or he's going to die naked hanging on a cross. Well, that doesn't sound too. Not even his disciples understood it. They were with him the entire time. He even told them it was going to happen. Man, you want to talk about throwing the enemy for a little bit of a, you know, a wild goose chase. They never, the enemy never saw it coming. His victory over death and sin was unorthodox, and he calls us to respond to it by faith. His victory over death and sin was unorthodox, and we are called, you are, as an individual, we are called to respond to it by faith. Now, I want to turn our attention to, to our challenge, to what God has challenged us to do as a church Our orders are found in James chapter 1 and verse 27. Part of the orders of the church, what we are called to do. It says, religion that our God and Father accepts as pure and faultless as this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So our order, our marching orders in part of the marching orders of the church are to... Take care of orphans and widows. Take care of those who cannot defend themselves. Invest in the lives of those within our own church, which we do, in our own community, which we do, in our own country, which we do, and around the world, which we do. That is what God has called us to do. That's our, those are our marching orders. And the question is, as we keep going on the next, this next decade, how are we going to win this war? Because it is this battle, this war, because, my friends, it is a war. We're talking about an overwhelming war. There are 163 million orphans around the world. Grasp that number, if you will. 163 million orphans, most of whom are being abused and are, are just living a miserable, horrible life. In our, own, in our own culture, in our own country, children are being lost in the system. Those who go through the system, they just kind of get lost in the system. See, my friends, the key to victory, the key to victory is sustainability. The key to our victory is to create opportunity. That's the key. This is unorthodox strategy. It is sustainability. It is creating opportunity. See, giving clothes to someone, handing someone some clothes is good, Giving someone a sewing machine and teaching them how to make clothes is self-sustainability. 
Giving people food is kind. Giving people the land and the tools to work the land is self-sustainability. That is what people need. See, throughout this series, we said if we're going to change the world, we need to touch one. That's why we called it Touch One. We need to impact the lives of individuals, one person at a time. That's what this series is all about. How do we impact the life of one and one and one and one and how many individuals we have in this church and how can each individual affect one life and then how can that life affect another life? If you touch one, it starts to add up. And that's the goal, to touch one. So with the remainder of our time, I want to, I want to, I want to talk to you this morning. I want to share a vision with you that God has placed in the hearts of many people within this body. I have heard this shared many different times in many different ways. And it's something that our body, I believe, is ready for. I really do. We've been praying about how we can touch one in our community in unique and unorthodox ways. We have our food pantry. We have the the thrift store. We have uh, Mason Serves. We have different things that our church participates in. There's all kinds of ways that we reach out on a regular basis to people within our church and people within our community and people within our city each and every day. Every single day we're touching lives in this community in, in, in unorthodox ways. Our strategy to impact lives around the world has, through self-sustainability, has yielded amazing results. Amazing results. We have accomplished things on such a large scale that most people, if you, if, you look at the, if you look at the resources, the financial resources that we have, most people would say, that's just ridiculous. That could never happen. This vision that I want to share with you this morning is larger but smaller at the same time. There are young men and young women who live in our foster care system uh, for most of their lives. They go from place to place, and many times, not all the time, but many times are physically and emotionally abused. By the time they leave the system, my friends, they are, they are discouraged, they feel hopeless, they feel helpless, they feel completely alone. They feel alone. When they're 18 years old, they are basically forced out of the system. So at 18, you're basically, you have to fend for yourself. Many of them, many of them find themselves in a cycle of poverty and crime. Listen to this. 33% of the children who come out of foster care are homeless. 33%. I want you to, I want you to just, if you would even close your eyes if you want to, but I want you to think about you at 18 years old going through, if you went if you can imagine what it would be like being in such an uncomfortable position as being passed around from person to person, then all of a sudden you're 17 years old. And you know when you're 18, you're on your own. They don't even give you a suit and a few bucks in your pocket. You're just basically on your own. Can you imagine the feeling of sheer horror how angry you would feel, how afraid. Where are you going to sleep? Where are you going to go? Who is going to help you? You have no skills for the most part. Most, most people in that situation have very few skills to be able to face this, this culture, this economy, this situation on their own. My gosh, most of us couldn't do it on our own. 
without a little bit of help in the very beginning from our parents or someone who took care of us and cared about us. Our vision is to create an environment of success for some of these kids. We want to create an environment of success, create, create an environment. Our goal would be to teach them the necessary skills for them to live out their God-given purpose because every single one of those kids has a God-given purpose. Our church would help. I'm going to use the word help, provide some of the emotional, the physical, the spiritual support and the opportunity that they would need in order to be successful. Because I'll tell you what, talk is stinking cheap in this world. And if we want to make a difference in our community, if we want to really make a difference in our country, I mean, how many of us sit around and talk about this? The ills of our culture, the ills of our government, the ills of all these things. Talk is cheap. If we want to make a difference, if we want to see our community change, if we want to see our country change, we need to touch lives. We, that's all there is to it. We, we, you and I, need to touch lives. We need to invest in the lives of the people out there that we talk about, that we see as, as being in need, as needy. Religion that our God and Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Is an 18-year-old who's been passed around and is now going to go out on their own not an orphan? They're an orphan. Who's taking care of them? They're def- they, they, who's going to watch out for them? Who's going to do that? Now, let me be absolutely clear. What we, what we are proposing to do is to give them opportunity we want to give them a hand up, not a hand out. We want to open the door, but then they have to walk through the door. We want to create opportunities. And there is absolutely positively no doubt that it will take people in this body. It will take people who have a passion in this body, from within this body, using all their different gifts, all the different gifts and, and, and talents and abilities and skills and experiences it will take people who have relentless passion to pull any of this off, regardless of how, how much we try. It's going to take people who have been called of God to make this happen. Now, for some of you right now, you're sitting here and you're feeling a little overwhelmed, even at the whole prospect of this. What is he talking about? What are we going to do? We're going to try to impact the lives of some kids. And you may be thinking, that's just, oh, have you even, do you even know about the project? Do you understand the, the intricacies? Do you understand the, not all of them. I don't. Do you understand what these kids go through and how difficult it is? No, I, I, don't, I don't understand everything the kids go through. I don't understand, I don't, have, I don't have all the answers. And it is overwhelming, but understand something. No one is standing up here this morning and saying, this is going to happen overnight. Boy, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. It's all going to work out. And boy, it's going to be so exciting. What I'm saying this morning is we need to come up with a plan. We need to come up with a plan. You know how long it took Jason and Emily Munifo to get on the field in, in, in Nigeria as we developed this plan? Five years. Five years. To set things up to where we could put a couple on the field. We did a lot in the, in the process. We went over there. We were building relationships. We were connecting. We were learning. We were understanding. And we built it in five years. Here's the thing. The government of the state government of Ohio has a plan for these kids who are 18 years old going out. You know what they do? You know what their plan is? They've created webinars. 
Now, 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 then seriously, after I said that, you should all go, then why are we bothering? Why should we bother helping these kids? They have webinars. Because you know all those homeless kids are going to break out their laptops and their iPads, and they're going to go online, and they're going to look at these webinars. Because that's what I would do if I was homeless. That's what I would do if I didn't have the skills. My gosh, my friends, we can do better than that. It won't even be hard to do better than that. I think if we did anything to help anyone, we'd probably do better than that. You know how much money gets poured into webinars by the state? A staggering amount. 33% of the kids are homeless. We can do better than that as a church. Grace Chapel alone can do better than that. Forget all the other churches and organizations we'll pull together to make this happen. We can do better than that, and it's our responsibility. If you look back over the past, if you say look back over the past 10 years, all the things that we said we were going to do, as crazy as they sounded at the time, God has truly blessed us. God has gone before us. God, God has been faithful to us. I'm going to roll down just a couple of quick things. Business trees. Business trees. What on earth is a business tree? Combination of business and ministry. Three years ago, I would have yelled out, whose stupid idea was that? Going through this whole process. But you know what? We made it. We survived. Self-sustained enterprises is on good footing. We survived. And now we're moving forward. Now we're going to be able to do a lot of the things that God has called us to do. So business trees, we were able to accomplish that. Think about Nigeria. Years ago, we said, here's what we're going to do in Nigeria. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And if you look at what we've accomplished in Nigeria, I say God has done immeasurably more than all we could have ever asked or imagined beyond our vision and goals for that country. We're nowhere near finished, but God has blessed us. Marketplace ministry. We talk about marketplace ministry. We've been talking about marketplace ministry for the last 12 years in this church. We have birthed through At Work on Purpose. The largest marketplace ministry in the country is the largest, really most influential marketplace ministry. Two of our elders were just in Christianity today with some of the things that they're doing. They did an article in Christianity Today about what we've been doing throughout Work on Purpose and some of the business trees and different businesses that we started and people at this church being recognized for being innovative, being creative, outside of the box, unorthodox, and having faith. That's what we've done. Marketplace ministry. Think about the Grace Impact Center. Man, we bought this property and we're nowhere near finished. We need to take the Fifth Street side over here. You drive in, I think it looks terrible. The railroad tracks and blah, blah, blah. And people, you know, they're like, oh, I don't, I don't know. I want to go to church there. This side of the building. But hopefully by this spring, if we raise those resources, some of the resources, we can put a nice big old fence behind that railroad track, block that off, plant some trees in front of it, finish up this side of the building. When you drive in, you're like, man, that looks really nice. We've taken this property, this old manufacturing plant that was flat out ugly, ugly, Okay. And we said, we're going to turn that big old ugly building into a place where thousands of people can come. We can put a soccer field in there. We can put it. We talked about this years ago. I don't, know, I don't know about you, but I can go play soccer over there right now, a big old turf field. 
We have done. God has called us, has given us a vision. And we have accomplished many of the things that he's called us to do. We still have a long way to go, but what God has laid out before us, we have accomplished. Why would we not be able to accomplish what God is calling us to do now? So I challenge you once again to have faith. I challenge this church one more time, again this morning, to have faith, to believe that God can do the extraordinary through you, not through me, through you. The ones that God is calling, that God can do extraordinary above and beyond all we could ever ask or imagine. You need to have faith, an unorthodox faith, and believe that God can do the extraordinary. That is why I've been teaching for years, every member is a minister, every job is important. That's why we talk about the importance that God has gifted every single person here. No secular sacred, that things are sacred, and that God can use you in your workplace. That's what we talk about, how God created everything, everything. Everything belongs to God. Your gifts, your talents, your abilities, all the things that make you, you belong to God. And if you use those things, we can do anything. Anything he calls us to do. You think about this. If God calls us to do it, who can stop us? The enemy can't stop us. God's not going to stop us because he's the one calling us to do it. What's the only way we can be stopped? Someone tell me. By who? By us. Exactly. By lacking faith and believing that it can't be done, someone else bigger or stronger should do it. I'm the le- we're the least of this and we can never do that and we need more than if we could just forget that. Forget that. God called us to do it. There's nothing that this church cannot accomplish. I've said to you during this series, you need to believe that. And you're not the only one who needs you to believe that. Now I'm giving you specific people who need you to believe that. There are a bunch of kids who, who, are, who are being pushed out of the system every single year. We're not going to take on the world here. One tiny step at a time. But there's one, one boy or maybe one girl, maybe a couple of kids who really, who really need us to believe what I just said. They need us to believe that. Because we're the ones who could come along and three or four years from now, we could be having people stand up here and giving testimony. Our lives were totally transformed by the people in this church because they believe in what God has said. Let me tell you something. Because, and here's the because, because if, to, change, to, change, to change one young man's life, to change one young woman's life, they're going to need financial counseling. They're going to need emotional counseling. They're going, to need, they're going to need discipleship. They're going to need mentoring. They're going to need, they're going to need training. And they're going to need help in helping get into college and do some, do some college training. They're going, to, they're going to need so many different skills. They're going to need skills and training at every level. They're going to need business training. They're going to, who's going to teach them how to fill out a checkbook, how to, how to start a bank account? Who's going to tell them all the things they haven't learned through this process? The body of Christ. It will be the body of Christ. You think, well, how can I help? What skill do you have? As soon as, you, as soon as that skill comes to mind, that's how you can help. That's how you can make a difference. These young men and women need to learn what it means to be a godly man or woman, how to be a good mom or dad, how to be a good husband or a good wife. These are skills that most of them have not learned. So many of you are outstanding. So many people in this church are outstanding, godly people, great husbands and wives, great fathers and mothers. And they're going to need you to teach them how to be a good mom when that time comes. If we want to fulfill God's calling on our lives, 
and on this church, each one of us, each one of us, every single one of us, every single person hearing what I'm saying needs to live out their purpose. You need to live out your God-given purpose so someone else can live out their God-given purpose. We need visionaries. We need implementers. We need maintainers. We need all those people. We need all of them all living out the reason, all living out the reason for which they were created. One person cannot do this. A few people cannot do this. We need a team of people. Let me tell you something. We are a global community of Christ followers, awakening imagination, igniting passion, and unleashing purpose. That's who we are. That's what we've done. That's our DNA. So if God this morning has awakened your imagination, if you want to be a part of this ministry, we're going to start by putting together a prayer team who will begin to pray through this, begin to study this issue, begin to put a plan together and how God can change these children's lives. Bobby and Melissa Owens, Dan and Linda Kramer are going to take the lead on this. There's some others who I know want to be involved as well. Linda will be out in the foyer after service right over here behind this wall at the little welcome center here. If you want to be a part, if you want to be a part of beginning this ministry, starting to lay the foundation, and I know some of you do, I know God has been stirring in your hearts even this morning because you've been thinking about this for such a long time. What can we do as a church to impact the lives of these children? We're going to figure it out and we're going to do it and we're going to make a difference. See, here's the, here's the end result here. The Lord gives the orders... I feel like the order has been given to many of you. The battle's already won. Do you understand that? You say, what are the details, Pastor Jeff? I don't know. God's in the details. All I know is there are kids who need help. We can do it. God gives the orders. The victory is already won. It's already there. Obedience, my friends, is the key to victory. Obedience is the key to victory. See, with Christ as our head and the body of Christ, his body living out our purpose, each one of us living out our purpose, victory is certain. Certain, absolutely certain. It's just a fact waiting to happen. All we need to have is unorthodox faith. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time that we can spend together. And Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have as a body of Christ to to come here this morning. To have our faith challenged once again. You call us to touch lives. And God, all we're asking is that you give us one. Allow us the privilege to reach out and to start by just touching one. Father, we don't know what you're going to do if we take this challenge on. We don't know how you're going to build this area of ministry. That's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to be obedient to you and let you use the people of this body, the gifts, the talents, the abilities, the resources that you have given to them, to use them to impact the lives of children in such desperate need. We will not give over our responsibility to any government, any other organizations. Father, as we see the need, allow us to be a part of, a part of meeting those needs. We give this over to you. We lay it at your feet. You lead us. You direct us. You guide us. 
You encourage us. You strengthen us. You give us everything we need to accomplish what you have for us. And we'll be sure, like we always do, like we always have, and we always will, give you all the praise and all the glory for what we know is going to take place. We praise you in advance for what we know is going to happen in the lives of many children in our community. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen.